Well, thank you for having me. Um, it's good to be here. There's seen some familiar faces that I've seen over the years that maybe have helped out in our city, some of the students that we had uh, up at our city this past fall. Um, just want to take a few moments and just share a little bit about us. I come to places I've never really spoke before and like, like who is this guy up on the stage? Um, and I'm saying the same thing about all of you too. I don't have no idea who you are. Um, but hopefully I'll get to meet some of you after the service. Love to just chat with you and hear your heart and hear your stories as well. Um, but uh, as Sean said, uh, my wife and I, Lori, uh, have our two kids, uh, Riley, who's 15, and my son is 12. Um, we were married at uh, Toco Falls College. We went to Toco Falls Bible College, felt the calling to go overseas. Uh, that was our goal. That was our heartbeat. Um, and through some different scenarios of going out west and serving in churches out in Montana and Wyoming, we found out our daughter had cerebral palsy. And so when we found that out, you know, us knowing, not knowing a whole lot about the, the disability world and what that was going to be for our family, we were still like, huh, who cares? Well, we'll figure out a way to get there. Um, but through different conversations and just the realities of having a daughter with special needs, we were asked not to consider going overseas anymore. And so our dream of going to Burkina Faso, West Africa, uh, was a tough struggle for us. There was many <clears throat> just conversations of like, why? Why do we go this far and now we can't go overseas? I always tell people, unfortunately I tell people in other states, but in, we're in Ohio. Uh, our song was, God, please send me to Africa, not God, don't send me to Africa. And ours was echoing, God, please don't send me to Ohio. Uh, <laughs> And it's, it's funny how that, that conclusion came, maybe not so much for my wife, but for myself, I have a brother-in-law that's an Ohio State Buckeyes fan. And, you know, Buckeye fans can go one way or the other. You can be, like, really cool, and, like, if you lose, it's okay. But then if you, other side of the, the coin is Buckeye fans that when you win, you're the biggest gloaters, and you want to tell everybody how awesome you are. And then when you lose, you go into your room, and you shut the door, and you lock it three times, and I don't want to talk to anybody. And you just end up being not very kind. Well, that was my brother-in-law. I, I love my brother-in-law, but I'm like, man, if I don't, I don't want to go to a state like that because uh, for those of you in Buckeye fans, I'm a Clemson fan. And see, see, right now. No congratulations. No like, hey, you beat us fair and square. Um, but we found ourselves moving to uh, Hudson, Ohio, that area, more so because we realized that living in Montana was not a great place and a great resource for our daughter to do well in life. And so we moved back uh, into Ohio. And as we were there, we had a great ministry, a very effective ministry that was going on there, but felt this nudge or this urge to do something more. We felt like we had skills and passions that maybe would lend more towards the church planting world um, or just being around a lot more lost people. Uh, that was kind of our heart. And uh, I was approached by someone uh, in our district to come and well, we considered opening up an Envision site. Uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. And I had known about Envision because I was asked to consider Burkina Faso, sorry, I'm pointing at the flag when I look over there, uh, to go to Burkina Faso to be a site coordinator. And so I knew a lot about it. And so I'm like, why Cleveland? And just as I learned more about the needs and the concerns and just the, the rawness of Cleveland, um, I'm like, yeah, why not? Why, let's just try this. And so we moved to Cleveland and we've been there for a little over five years now. And it's really interesting because when we moved to Cleveland, um, we still had that urge of like, man, we just, it's still that in the back of your mind, you're thinking, why couldn't we ever go to Africa? But the reality is, is that God knew that. He knew our heart. Uh, and some of our first friends uh, were not only from Congo, but they were also from Burkina Faso, West Africa. 
So the Lord even answered our prayer that we have a chance to be with people. You don't, we don't care too much. And Sean's been there. Burkina is not a great place that you want to go live at, but the people are contagious and you want to be around those people. And so we've had the opportunity to work with uh, both African Americans, Middle Eastern, Arabic, Iraqi, you can think of it. And so the Lord has really given us the desire of our heart to be around people that look very different than we are. And so we've been serving there for five years. Uh, Envision Cleveland is part of a greater Envision family that serves in over 21 sites around the world. We have sites all over the world. Uh, eight of those sites are in the U.S. that I have an opportunity to walk with our leaders in different cities around the uh, nation. And uh, I mean, also Envision's a part of a greater Alliance family. If you guys, most, many of you guys know about the Great Commission Fund and Alliance Missions. Uh, we've been going through some transition pieces here over here recently where uh, when you give to Alliance Missions, you're giving to four structures. Uh, the typical access structure is what you're probably most used to of international workers. You've heard that term thrown out there. Um, we're all considered international workers now, even those that are in the U.S., uh, but we operate in the access world, which is more church planting, overseas, doing things in countries. We have um, the comma services, which is our kind of our relief and development arm of what we do, working in community development. They do uh, disaster relief, those types of things. And then we also have marketplace ministries, which is uh, people of the business world or educated that said, you know what? I'm not a pastor, but man, I'm, I can, I'm a great professor or I, I run really good business. And I, I wonder if I could use those skills in an overseas setting you know, for the kingdom. And so there's people operating all over the world that are using their business degrees or using their education degrees to impact the darkness with the gospel using their typical skills. Uh, so they're operating in businesses and things like that. And then you have Envision, which is... Uh, some people have noticed that we are kind of like the short-term experience arm of what we do. And so we really, we were about innovation, uh, trying new things, but also identifying, developing leaders for missional work. And so just this past year, Envision Cleveland had over 2,000 people come and volunteer and be a part of what God's doing in the city. And during those times, we get to educate, we get to give them experiences, but also just to walk along with them. And so we kind of find ourselves envision kind of being the, if you look at a pipeline into Alliance Missions, we kind of like being the, the first person. Like we have students coming in going, hey, I want to, what does it mean to be a missionary? What does it mean to go overseas? All the way up through people that we just hosted an intern that was 86 uh, and she went overseas. Uh, so if you say now I'm not, I'm too old for this. No, we take young and we take old and we're looking for people that want to be involved in kingdom ministry. And so that's kind of what Envision uh, is a part of and what we're, uh, we're doing. And one of the goals for Alliance Missions is that all of Jesus for all of the world and that gospel access from all peoples. So we are about going to the uttermost parts of the world. Uh, you hear our president, John Stumbo, talk about Acts 1-8. And I will tell you that Cleveland is proud to be in a Samaritan, a Samaria. You know, in Acts 1.8, it says, you'll be my witness where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, a lot of times we forget about the Samaria, right? Uh, it's usually the more uncomfortable place because it's close to home, but the people are very different than us. And um, we know that Cleveland, for a lot of people, is like that. Cleveland is kind of like the Samaria for some people. And so we own that. Uh, Envision Cleveland, uh, specifically, um, our core belief is that every person matters. Uh, empowered neighbors strengthen neighborhoods. Uh, when you walk down the street in Cleveland, it's very easy to say, you know, that person's not valuable, that person's a bum, that person's made too many wrong mistakes. But we really believe that every person matters to God. 
If you really believe in what it says in Genesis, that every person is made in the image of God, then every person matters. And empowered neighbors strengthen neighborhoods. Our mission is to strengthen communities one neighbor at a time. And I say that because uh, in Cleveland, is it, I can go into a lot of different neighborhoods, and the neighborhoods that I, that I hang out in, that I have friends with, um, I don't look a lot like them. And so I could come in, and people don't trust me just because of the color of my skin. And so I'm going, well, if, if that's not going to work, then i got to make friends with people that are willing to be friends with me, and I want to empower them to make change in their neighborhood. And so that's what we're about. We want to empower neighborhood leaders, because even though Cleveland, you saw a lot of those pictures up there, God is doing some really fun things, and there's places in these neighborhoods that are blown out houses, and it looks like devastating, but the reality is there's still people there that are not leaving. And what if we began to empower them and to encourage them to lead change in their own neighborhoods? And so at the end of the day, our vision, we just see Cleveland being transformed with neighbors who love God, uh, work for the common good, and live with purpose. And loving God and working for the common good and living with purpose, we want to give them opportunities to be engaged. So we want to engage those people. We want to engage with all kinds of people. Uh, we want to educate them. In a city like Cleveland, you, it'd be, it's really crazy. I was looking at the statistics just recently that right now Cleveland um, ranks number one in child poverty. It's the poorest city in the nation for child poverty. Uh, it's the second in adult poverty, and it's third in uh, senior citizen poverty. So we got the top three spots, not in a good place to be, right? But the reality is, is that a lot of these people, that it's not that they don't want to help and they don't want to get help and they don't want to change, it's they don't always have access. And so we want to give them access to educational pieces to give them another chance. Um, and then we want to empower them to go out and lead change in their neighborhoods. Uh, and I'm going to share a number of examples this morning about some of those ways that's happened. But as I open up this morning, if you want to turn your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke 10. I'll be reading from uh, the ESV. Before we read the passage in, uh, there, starting in verse 25, I want to ask this question. Uh, I really believe, or maybe that was maybe a phrase, is that uh, do you want to know how the simple ways to change the world? And if you do, maybe this is a prescription for that is that I feel like there's so many times that the church has done church really, really well. This morning you walked in here, we had an outstanding band. I mean, it's a great band. Everything seems to be really nice. It's easy to worship to. Um, hopefully day, uh, Sunday and Sunday out, you have people that come in and speak well. You have times of prayer. You connect. We've always done church pretty well for most of the time. The evangelical world has done church pretty well. But I think one of the things that we've struggled with is actually being the church. We do church well. We put on a performance. We do those things, and it's all needed. Please don't hear me. I don't want you to walk in and go, man, that guy from Envision, he hates the church. I love the church. It's the way that the Lord has designed everything to work. But I'm maybe here to even help us to think through, what does it mean to be the church? Because the reality is that there was a history, in our history in the evangelical world of church, People used to come to church. They used to come in droves. It was the epicenter of what things were happening in the community. They would go there for help. They'd go there for food. They'd go there to hang out. You know, it's always been there. But the reality is that today, people are not coming in droves anymore. They're not trying to bust in the doors to get here. And if we're still focusing on doing church well, and I'm telling you, I don't think they're coming in, 
then what do we got to do? We got to be the church in our neighborhoods. If we really believe what the gospel says and what it says in Romans 1.16, you know, if some of you guys are Lecrae fans and the 116 click rap stuff, you know the verse. But the verse says this. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. And if it is the power of God for salvation, then we can't just reserve ourselves just to hear. To be the church, we have to go out there and be the example and be the gospel light in those neighborhoods and to our neighbors. And so this morning, I want us to walk through a story that many of us know of the Good Samaritan, um, but maybe look at it from a couple of different lenses this morning. If you got your Bibles there, we'll look at verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? And how do you read it? And he answered, the lawyer saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus saying this, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. The lawyer responds, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite when he came to place and saw him and passed on the other side. But then a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Lord, I pray this morning as we open up your word and we see the, this parable that you laid out for this lawyer, may you lay it out for us this morning. I'm just a vessel here this morning, so Lord, I pray that you will be able to communicate in spite of me. Help me not to be in the way of what you want to communicate to people here this morning. Help us to learn more what it means to love our neighbor as we jump into this. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. As we seek to be the church, not just to do church, I think it's important as we look at this con the context of this passage, we have this lawyer that his intent uh, as he speaks to Jesus is really not to find out the information, uh, what it means to inherit eternal life. He really wants to kind of trip Jesus up in some ways. But we have this lawyer here. He's asking the question. He reveals a self-righteous spirit in him. And he's challenging Jesus. But you know what's so encouraging is that Jesus is so good. He's like, okay, let me just tell you a story. Don't you love how Jesus does that? Don't you wish that you could be more like Jesus when somebody comes up against you? You know, but Jesus goes, no, let me just tell you a story first. And he was a smart lawyer. He knew the word. He knew what it said. But Jesus goes on. It's also understand, it's good to understand what's going on with the road. The road between and going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's important to understand that Jerusalem was that epicenter. It was that place where people went. 
It wasn't just for worship, but it was a place where people would buy and sell things. They would go there to do community, they, those, those kind of things. But the Levites and the priests, the, the ones that were going out and doing ministry in the other parts of the country, would come to Jerusalem to be pure, to get purified. They would have a ceremony and things like that that would basically give them the chance to go back out and do ministry again. So they're coming to Jerusalem to take care of those things so they can go back out, okay? Because it says in the story that the, the men were going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. So they were leaving to go do ministry again, okay? And so it's important to understand that. Um, many people came from different places for different reasons in this area. Another part of the context, and just a good to understand maybe a little bit about the social structure that was going on. And it's a kind of a descending uh, social structure in value, okay? So they had the priests and Levites. They were the ones that were probably, the, they would consider being closest to God. They were the ones that were responsible for doing the right things and knowing what God has for them. Then you had the Jewish people that would relate and they would get along and they would talk. And then you have the sinners and outcasts, still being Jewish people, but maybe people that weren't following the code, but they were still interacting. But then you have the Samaritans. Now, if you've read the Bible very much, you know the Samaritans were looked down as being lower than any value. They weren't worth very much. And people would always talk bad about the Samaritans. And then you have the Gentiles. But I would ask us to maybe even think about this maybe in a, today's age, what would that look like here? Because I still think that this kind of structure happens even in our evangelical world. We have the pastors and the elders and the leaders. They're, you know, we, I know I've come from a generation that the pastor was the only one that could always do the visitations at the hospital. Or they're the ones that are going to actually, if I, church, pastor, if I can just bring them to church, will you just evangelize them? Right? We have that structure in place where it's the elders. They're the ones that are closer to God. Now, we, this is not to bash elders and those kind of things, but that's kind of what we look at. They're the ones that are closer to God. Then we, we tend to, when we worship God or we say ourselves as the church, that we usually are more ethnically monotone in some ways. We're all, you know, look here. We're pretty similar if we look around the room. We tend to gather in those ways. And sometimes it's because of geography, but sometimes it's not just because it's just what it is. But then you have uh, the sinners and outcasts, but then it gets, starts to get a little sticky and a little uncomfortable. I said at the very beginning that Cleveland is proud to be the Samaria. Um, the reality is, is that when you start mixing different ethnicities, it gets a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe we don't always relate as well to different ethnicities. Then it's really hard to love people that actually think politically differently than us. Oh man, you're a Democrat? Oh, you're a Republican? We can't talk. Or one needs Jesus and the other one doesn't know Jesus. Right? And then we talk about different religions. Oh, you're a Muslim, so I can't talk to you. I, I'm a Christian. And you can keep going down the line. Sexual orientation. Oh, you're gay. So what I have for you, you don't understand. I share that because we do have some of those things. We tend to gather in places that are more comfortable. They don't cause us to go outside of our comfort zone. And the reality is, is that as we look in this story, we see the context of what's going on. We see this acted out. We see these robbers that have come and destroyed this guy and left him for dead. But the reality that in our day and age, that our robbers are not necessarily people, but there's things that have gone on in our lives. Our neighborhoods, your neighborhoods in Brunswick, our neighborhoods in Cleveland are full of people that are broken. That have been beat up, that have been left for dead. It may have been family history. It may have been bad decisions they've, had, they've made. 
but also it may be the church that's beat them up and left them. And as the victims, as we look at the victim here, we see a man that has been left broken and beat up. But as I look at the world that I live in, the neighborhoods that I have a chance to walk through and spend time with friends in, I see the same thing. Neighborhoods that are left broken, beat up, that are dealing with so much soul baggage and mental illness and things like that, that they're lacking something. And I realize that, man, I'm not very much different than them either because I'm lacking as well. But life beats us up. Life leaves us broken. In our neighborhoods, if we're going to be the church, we have to be different than the religious priests and Levites in this story. Because the reality is, as we see the, the religious priests, they come up and they have an opportunity to love their neighbor. And so this morning we're going to share a little bit more how to, how, what is the art of loving your neighbor? The reality is, is that as you understand this, because the, I think the priests saw this, they walk him by, they saw him like, oh no, we just went to Jerusalem, we're already clean, why do we want to stop? Right? We don't want to stop. We just we had to go back and get clean again. But that was their job. And so at that moment, those men chose not to love their neighbor. The reality is they didn't realize that we don't get to choose our neighbor when Jesus talks like this. Jesus says that we not only love him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, but we love our neighbor. We don't get to choose our neighbor. If we believe what God said in Genesis 1.27, that we are all made in the image of God, that means that we don't get to choose the people that we interact with. We don't get to choose our neighbor. We get to choose if we're going to love them, but we don't get to choose who our neighbor is. It doesn't matter the skin color, the religious beliefs, the sexual orientation, the sin issues, the political versions. We are called to love our neighbor. And the reality is, as I share with many people, they say, Paul, you just don't know my neighbor. He looks more like an enemy to me. Well, Jesus also says something about that in Matthew 5, 44. What does he say? Love your enemy and heap prayer on them. Pray for them. And the reality is, is that as I look at this, and I, I can tell you stories of neighbors. I have a neighbor that I could tell you a story of. In our first house, we lived in Cleveland. Um, he was a guy, uh, he would, his name was Mark. And Mark was not a quiet person. It's crazy. A lot of times in the suburbs, and I've, I'm from the suburbs, that's where I lived, we tend to fight with our spouses or our families. We usually do it inside because we don't want anybody else to hear, right? Well, in Cleveland, people fight in the streets. They don't care who hears. They don't care who sees. And Mark was one of those guys. He didn't care how loud he was, but he was going through a situation with his girlfriend at the time. And it's happened a number of times before, but this one night in particular, it was like two o'clock in the morning. And Mark is screaming at the top of his lungs. And I'm going, oh my gosh, this is one of those things like, okay, I got to pray for Mark. I got to pray. No, I just don't like Mark anymore. So the next morning I wake up uh, and I'm coming out, I'm pushing my daughter out for the bus. And here comes Mark. He's been sitting on the porch all night because he can't get in the house because his girlfriend won't let him in. Hey, hey Paul, hey, 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 man, you... I've got a, uh, a DVD player and some DVDs. Do you mind buying them? I'm trying to go get a job today. I have an interview, trying to get a haircut and a pack of smokes. And now again, Mark was the one that kept us up that, that night. I'm like, nah, because my first is like, no, let me just, let me get my daughter on the bus and then we can talk. I get Riley on the bus. And then Mark goes on and say, hey man, I got these DVDs and I'm going, 
I know these are not going to be DVDs I should be watching. And I don't know what the deal is with the DVD player. I'm like, is this the neighbor that actually owns the house? Do I, am I going to be buying something that's stolen from her? And at first thing I was like, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm good. I'm like, he's, oh, no problem, man. Hey, sorry for being la- uh, loud last night. I'm like, yeah, I bet you're sorry. That's my attitude. And so as I'm walking back to the, down the driveway, the Lord goes, Paul, I want you to go back and buy the DVDs. I'm like, what? I'm like, I had 25 bucks. That's what he asked, 25 bucks in my wallet. And I walk in and my wife is known to be the one that peeks out the blinds. What's going on? You know, what's, you know, she's had to be a witness to a crime and stuff like that too. So she's, she does see stuff, but she's like, what does he want? I'm like, well, he wants me to buy these DVDs and a DVD player. She's like, well, you're not going to buy it, are you? I'm like, uh, Jesus, I think, is telling me to buy it. She goes, I don't know if that's Jesus. <laughs> but at that moment, I went out and I said, okay, Jesus, I, what, what do you want? I'll buy the stuff from Mark. I said, Mark, come on over here. He runs over. I said, bring the stuff over. He goes, oh, really, really? And I said, I think I'll buy this stuff from you. He goes, oh, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, no problem. Let's, let me just buy it for you. I said, but before I buy them from you, I feel like I need to pray for you. And I'm going, okay, God, I don't want to do this. But the Lord began to pray for me because I had a hard time finding words to pray. And I was praying prayers of blessings over Mark, praying for his job interview. And I don't even remember all the prayer. But I look up and as I say amen, Mark's got big tears rolling down his face. And he says, nobody's ever spoke words like that over my whole life. He goes, well, people don't realize. He goes, I'm really sorry for being all loud, but in the drug stuff, he goes, I was hurt two years ago in a construction accident and I can't stop taking pain pills. I didn't get to choose Mark. And I didn't even really choose to love him. But the Lord pressed upon that. The reality is we don't get to choose our neighbor, but we do get to choose if we're going to love him. But it takes us being people that are going to move towards people. We see those priests and Levites, the people that in my mind... You're going to go and help this person that's been beat up. But it says that they walked on the other side of the road, as far away as they could away from him to get by him. We do that a lot. But some of it's because we're afraid. Because that person, because of their skin color or because of the way they look, we automatically deem them as a criminal. Or they're going to rob me. How do I know that? Because I've given tours in our city, and as soon as I pull up beside somebody that's black and had their pants hanging half down, they lock the door right in front of them. Or the homeless guy that's on the side of the street, and my own, my own nephew says, oh, he's just a scam artist, without even knowing his story. Now, that may be true. It may be true that he is a scam artist, but we don't know. But we always pass judgment and go, you know what? I'm going to walk on the other side of the road. And for some of us, we know that God is calling us to walk on that other side of the road with the person, but we don't want to because it's too uncomfortable. So if I just walk over here, maybe God won't make me go over there and say anything. Not just in Cleveland. Maybe you walk a different way in your office so you don't have to talk to somebody. Or maybe you build a fence in your yard so you don't have to interact with your neighbor at all. We do those things but we're not moving towards those people. But then we have the most unlikely person in the story, the Samaritan, 
The one that is the lowest of lows, remember? That's the one that we hear about when Jesus went. Who did he meet with at the, at the well? It was a Samaritan woman. And if you've read that story, you know her background. She wasn't one that was highly regarded in her community. She was actually the lowest of the lowest Samaritans. But Jesus spent time with her and his disciples even said, Jesus, why are you hanging out with that lady? You know who she is? But we know that from that story, Jesus met with her and she was so excited because she met with Jesus. She had a real encounter with Jesus. She had a real encounter with the gospel. She went back to her neighborhood and she told everybody, she didn't care. I, yeah, I am the lady that sleeps with five guys. But I just met this guy named Jesus and he told me everything about who I am. And we know that from that story, many Samaritans came to know Jesus. And so in my imagination, my glorified imagination, I imagine that this Samaritan man is one of those men that got changed by Jesus. But he's the unlikely person. And in the Samaritan, as he's walking down the road, he doesn't go, oh, I'm going to get away from that guy. He goes straight to him. He moves right towards him. And he listens, he looks, and he sees, oh, this guy's beat up. He's going to almost die. And he pulls everything out and says, how can I help you? But he moved towards him first. Church, our, neighbors are, our neighborhoods are full of people that are never going to come into this church. I'm telling you that right now. Because they've been hurt or because they don't trust, but you are the church. This church is going to see many people come to know Jesus, but I think the many people in your neighborhoods could see Jesus if you were to be the church. To go towards people, to begin to see them. We have a thing in our site that we want to be a site that sees people. We want to see all people. And how you love your neighbor as you move towards people, as you see people, it's important to understand sometimes it's just really good to listen to the story. I had a pastor in the city of Cleveland. They've been doing, they have a nice fence around their property uh, just for, and for good reasons. I wouldn't say not take your fence down. But they've always done ministry inside the fence. They have one of the largest hotels for spot prostitution right beside their church. Many of you guys know that church if you were at Renew the City, the very first one we ever did. It's no longer a prostitute hotel because we just got it shut down about six months ago. But for so many years, they've been doing ministry and none of the women would ever come to church because they were too ashamed because they didn't want to go through the fence and they didn't want to come in the building. The only women they found that would come in the, in the fences with the people that actually turned a trick and got beat up and left by the church doors. So you have a community of people that are somewhat afraid to come in the fence. But the church is doing well. And I said, hey, you know what, John, the pastor there, I said, we do these things called jump outs where we just roll up in a neighborhood. We have a big four-foot grill. It's a great thing to have in the city. And we just pull up and we start throwing out hot dogs and hamburgers. And whoever shows up, we hear their story. We give them food and we listen. And the thing is, is that as we begin to listen to their story, our only goal is to hear the story, to listen, and to allow the Holy Spirit to give us prompts to talk about him. What's crazy is the pastor's like, oh, this, is, this sounds kind of cool. I said, guess what? It's free. And he's like, okay, we'll do it. Uh, so we, we get outside the fence. He said, at first he goes, inside the fence? I'm like, no, we're going to go outside the fence. We're going to sit on the street, make ourselves vulnerable out there. And he goes, okay, I don't know what people are going to think about it. And I knew... The ladies in this church, they're, they're like the patriarchs of the church. They're the ones that are the prayer warriors. They're the ones that always have a track in their, pro, in their pocketbook for you, right? I still get tracks from people that support me. I don't understand. I don't know if I'm still not saved or what. But uh, anyway, these ladies are going to say, Pastor Paul, we're going to bring all of our tracks. I'm like, no, I don't want you to bring anything. I want you to put yourself out there just to be a listener. 
And then if the Lord sparks in you to share something, then you do that. But you're going to have to be dependent only on him, not your material. And what's crazy is that out of that, that first one we did at that church, over 35 women came from that hotel to get a meal. Majority of them sat down and had a conversation with one of those ladies and told their story. Not to count the other 120 plus people that came to get food. And I don't tell that to toot her own horn, but it was a reality that church and the pastor came to me and goes, Paul, we got to stop doing stuff inside the fence. Because the people aren't coming to our church, but they want to tell their story. They want to be heard. And some of those ladies actually go to church there now. I share that because loving your neighbor is putting yourself going towards people, but also being willing to listen. The reality is, is that most of us, if you're honest with yourself, we like to talk. We like to tell people information. We want to remind people that they need the gospel. We want to do all these things. It's really hard for us to listen sometimes. And I could tell you story upon story in the city where I've had to learn this lesson. But one of those lessons as I learned is I was in a neighborhood. It's a neighborhood that's always been on my mind. It's been something I've been prayed for. It's called the Mount Pleasant neighborhood. One of the tougher neighborhoods in the city. And a lady named my name of Anita Gardner. She runs a community center. She doesn't know Jesus, but she's great. She's kind of like the corner person. Like if you want something, you can go ask her. And so I came in with this idea like, hey, I'm Paul from Envision. We're awesome. And we can help you do better in your neighborhood. And I remember her looking at me going, what? For one, you're white. Uh, and nobody's going to listen to you. I came with this, this plan. And she goes, if you want to work with me, we talk together. And so for three and a half years, and up and going on four years now, she's become one of my closest friends in the city of Cleveland. And I could tell you, I wish I could tell you that for I share with the gospel with her every single time I met with her, but reality is it took me three and a half years to share the gospel with Anita Gardner. Because Sean remembers this as he was at one of our district events. Um, we were invited some pastors to come and look at the city, and we had about 30, 35 pastors out there um, uh, coming to see what Envision's doing and seeing the city a little bit more. And so that day, Anita said, hey, I'm going to stop by. We want to put a greenhouse top because... Unfortunately, Envision's got into putting up greenhouses sometimes. Never knew how to do that, but we figured it out last year. But as we've done that, we wanted to put the top on it. And we, I wanted pastors to do it on purpose. Um, but I said, hey, Anita, would you share a little bit about the neighborhood? And she was very gracious. She shared, like, hey, this is my neighborhood. This, I've been here for 27 plus years um, and all those kind of things. And she's like, just thank you so much for Envision. Thank you for uh, being here. I really see Jesus in Envision. It's, you know... And I'm like, oh, man, she's really good. She's not usually that PG um, in some ways. And so I, I shared some things, and he's like, hey, can I say one more thing? And I'm like, okay, here it goes. I need to grab the mic, or I gave her the, uh, the chance to see her again. She goes, you guys are pastors, right? She goes, you know, there's 257 churches in my neighborhood, and I don't trust one of them. Anita was disappointed and beat up by the church. And my message that I had to share with her could not come through the lens of a church building. But I can tell you, Anita's still on a journey. 
I don't know her heart completely, but I don't, she's never professed to me that she wants to put her full belief in Jesus. But this past summer, I had the chance to share the gospel clearly with her. And she received it. Our neighbors don't always need a five-point message. Our neighbors don't need to be reminded of how they're not good enough. They really sometimes need somebody that's willing to sit down and listen to their story and offer them maybe a healing hand or I'll help you out. Anita is not very much different than many of your neighborhoods where you have a chance to engage with people. We have to be first, be good listeners, and then wait for the Holy Spirit to give us direction on how we're to love them. Sometimes it's quiet. Sometimes it's just sitting. Sometimes it's sitting for three and a half years. The reality is, is that it's our, it's our opportunity to love them. It's Jesus' responsibility to change their hearts. Sit, listen. And as we see the Samaritan, I, see, I sense that he probably talked to this victim. He probably talked to him, but he realized, like, okay, now I've got to act. And the reality is, is that one way you can love your neighbor is to care for them uh, in a convenient way. He just took care of them. Let me take care of you. Let me bandage you up. Let me put some oil on you. I'm going to take you to the inn. I'm going to take care of you. And he tells the innkeeper, hey, if he needs to stay here longer and doesn't have enough money, I'll take care of it when I come back. The reality is, is that when he loved his neighbor, uh, it was pretty inconvenient. He was probably on his own journey. He was probably trying to do something. But he, he said, you know what? No, there's somebody in need. My neighbor needs somebody. To, he, my neighbor needs to be loved. And he went all out. Loving our neighbors is not always convenient. And for many of us, if we're honest, including myself, we don't always look at it like I do whatever it takes, but it's like I'm going to do the least amount possible. It's practical care. It's sitting with somebody uh, and just listening to their story. Maybe it's giving them a job. I had a guy, his name was Shane. He was a homeless guy. They used to hang around the church and um, I tried to give my phone number out a lot because I could get a lot of people to call me. But the pastor gave him my number for some reason. And Shane was one of those guys that was always looking for something, but he would always work. And Shane uh, lived, he had an IV of beer, I think. And he just had to have it all the time. He couldn't function without a beer. And I knew that if I were to give him a, a job and I was going to give him five or ten bucks, he was most likely going to go pay for the beer. And for some of us, we're going, oh, man, you're supporting a habit. No, I'm just supporting a, a brother that needs money. I don't know what he's going to do with it. But I made a deal with Shane. I'm like, Shane, I will give you $5 to come and help me. Come spend two hours with me, help me do projects. Because he only needs, he's like five, ten bucks. That's all I need. I said, we're just going to talk about life. And it's crazy because Shane would ride around with me in this big truck, and he would tell me stories. And the stories that he would tell, I'm going, no wonder he drinks a beer every day. I wish I would, I, would have one, I would want to forget all that. Watching his dad rape his sister. Being stabbed in the leg with, by his dad. Just dad issues alone would make somebody want to drink. But as I began to share the gospel with Shane, he began to listen. But it was because I had to sit through some of that. And I had to listen. I had to be, you know what? Shane's calling again. I got to answer. It was inconvenient at times. It was pretty humorous at times as well because Shane was the best bodyguard you could ever have. Didn't always use the right language, but he was a great bodyguard. But it took time and it was messy. It cost me. 
But the reality is, is that our neighbors need people to listen. And if we believe what I said in the very beginning of this, if we believe that the gospel is the power of God for sal- power of God for salvation, we cannot help from loving our neighbor. I've already helped you a little bit this morning that you don't get to choose your neighbor. But you will go from this place with an option to choose to love your neighbor, to see your neighbor, to be willing to step into your neighbor. I was talking to a gentleman right to the service, and this is my last story, Sean. I know I'm a little over, I apologize. And he was saying a guy, a professor from Dallas Theological Seminary, said this, uh, if your neighbor were to move out, what kind of neighbor are you praying for to move back in? Most of our prayers go like, just pray for somebody that's going to be nice, and we can kind of get along, maybe we can have dinner together. Most Most of us don't pray for the most wretched person ever. If we can begin to pray that kind of prayer, God, send me somebody that I can love, somebody that I can walk and do life with. I don't care if they drink. I don't care if they do this, but send me somebody that needs to hear the gospel. And the reality is, I don't know about your neighborhood, but in my neighborhood in Cleveland, I'm finding more and more that neighborhoods in the city of Cleveland don't even know about Jesus. One of the events that we did recently uh, in in a kid's camp kind of thing it's a neighborhood in the city. Cussing is just a normal thing. That's what happened. People, everybody cusses. And they say all kinds of things. They put words together. I'm like, how does that even fit? That doesn't even match. But they say things. But in this one particular neighborhood, a place called Miles Landing, it's kind of secluded. It's a townhouse community, 350 units. In this, unit, in this area, I would be walking through and I would never hear GD or Jesus Christ. I'm going, man. They say everything except for these. And it was during one of those camps that we did that two girls ran home to their mom and as one of the pastors that was there overheard the little girl saying, hey, we heard about this guy named Jesus. And he did all these things. Would you help us to know more about that mom? No more. Now, there are places around the world that have very, very, or little to no access But I'm realizing that even in our neighborhoods, as we live in a post-Christian era, that more and more people don't know about the gospel of Jesus. And if they don't know they need to go to church to hear it, that means our responsibility is to be the church, to go to people, to listen to their story, because you have the gospel, the power of God, which is for salvation. You and I are responsible. And if I were to stand up here and tell you that, man, it's always so good to get up and go out there and love my neighbor, it's not. It's hard. Pray for us. There are days, Lori can tell you, why are we doing this? But I do hang on to these words that Jesus said when he was given the Great Commission. Lo, I'm always with you. The message is that important. You don't have to come to Cleveland, although we would love to have all of you come and hang out with us. But you can go home and love the neighbor on the right and on the left. You can go to work tomorrow morning and love your neighbor on the left and the right. You can go to school and love your desk person. And my son can tell you he doesn't like to love people sometimes at school. 
But we have it. We have the gospel. Let us be people that will be willing to be the church and to take it to our neighbor and to love them well. Lord, I pray this morning that even the Samaritan, the one that was looked down upon in their society, he was the one that led the way. So I pray that you even find somebody here that will lead the way in loving their neighbor well. Will you rally together people that say, you know what, I'm going to go home, I'm going to love my neighbor no matter what. I'm going to be willing to sit for three years and listen if I have to. I can't imagine if we really did ask you honestly what you thought about us and how you've been listening to each one of us for so long. It's not much for you to ask us to love our neighbors well. Help us to do that well. And may we be glorified because of it. Your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Paul, so much. What a, what a challenge and can't get out of my mind that statement that we're called to. This is my prayer for Hope Church and for my, my family, my life, is that we wouldn't just do church, but that we really would be the church that the Lord has called us to be. I have a friend who says that about his neighbor, he says that, uh, Sean, I've run out of cheeks to turn when it comes to loving my neighbor. So I'm going to ask you um, to join me in doing a couple of things. We want to pray that the Lord would bring this message of, of hope uh, to our own lives, but also that we would be ambassadors for the gospel in our own sphere of influence. And also, I want to encourage you, Paul and Lori are part of the great um, the, the Christian Missionary Alliance's ministry. That's the denomination that we're a part of. And in the role that they're in in Cleveland, they raise support. They have supporters that pray for them as well regularly. And I want to challenge you to become a part of that. They're going to be available here after the service. There's a lobby table out there in our cafe. And we would love for you to uh, sign up to be a part of the team that supports and lifts them up. And uh, we're going to pray for their family. And we're going to close out with this last song, celebrating what the Lord's done in our midst. Lord, we love you. And I thank you for, for Riley and for the, the privilege for Hudson, for um, the privilege to know Paul and Lori. And the, Lord, that you've drawn them to Cleveland to uh, love the world, to love the city. And I pray that that wouldn't just be their calling. But instead, Lord, I pray that in watching the example of the Good Samaritan and watching their example, Lord, that you would put a spur in the saddle of our lives to move us forward, to allow us to recognize that we have a privilege to join you, uh, to be a part of the things that you're doing around the world. So we love you. Thank you for this morning. Uh, we pray that we would walk worthy of our calling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.